Welcome to the Courtside Hoops podcast with Reg and Buckets. Uh, I'm Reg and I'm joined by Buckets uh, via Zoom. Buckets, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. How are you? I'm good, yes. We're uh, we're into the NBA Finals now, so the two teams are set, um, which is exciting. And it is the outcome that we thought it would be based on our last pod. Miami did take, take care of business, so let's jump into Eastern Conference Finals Game 6. Uh, what did you think? Yeah, so um, very impressed with Bam. Um, I must admit, you know, we were talking on our last pod that we thought um, Jimmy Butler needed to be the one um, to lead the way, which I think he did in terms of the tone he set for the game. Um, he was very aggressive right from the outset um, in terms of attacking the basket, not settling for jump shots, um, and, and really just making sure that, okay, from the front, I'm going to lead and make sure that you know my teammates can see that we're here to win this tonight. We're not mucking around. But then it really was, from that point on, from about the first quarter on, um, where Bam really took over, um, took over the game. So, you know, for a guy to, you know, we spoke last pod about how he said in his press conference that, you know, it's all on me. I didn't play up to scratch. And we talked about that that's the heat culture, that they don't look for excuses um, and they don't look for others to be the one to make change. They look internally and think, okay, what can I do for our, our team to be successful? So to come out and say that in your press conference and back that up with the game he had in game six, you know, you can you can tell why Spo says he's a born winner and he's going to be a winner for a long time in this league because he's made of the right stuff, he's got the right mental attitude towards the game and then he's got the skills and the talent to go along with that. So very impressed with, with the way he's going and, and excited to see if, what he can do going into the playoffs. So that was probably my biggest takeaway from an individual um, perspective. Um, what was your um, performance that sort of stood out to you? Yeah, so I, I had number one, Bam, as well. Um, I had number two, uh, Jimmy. And then I had equal three with Tyler Hero and Andre Iguodala. Iguodala scored more points than I've seen him score in a Miami Heat jersey, um, you know, which is classic uh, Iguodala. Uh, went five, for f- five from five from the field and four or four from three uh, for 15 points. Um, I thought Tyler had a bounce-back game after he sort of struggled a little bit in the last one, and we spoke about that. Um, he had 19 points um, on, on 60% shooting from the field. Um, but Bam was just, like, dominant. Um, and it really made me think about, when I was watching that game, it did make me think about how um, I'm really excited for the Bam and AD matchup now. Because um, Bam is, like, I knew he was good, but I think that game really sort of, he took his play to the next level, particularly, you know, if you, if you put in context the game and how important it was um, for Miami to, to finish the deal, because if that had gone seven, who knows what would have happened. Um, and he, he just came out, yeah, after, you know, you mentioned that he said it was on me um, and really showed that I'm not going to be in that position again after the game where I'm saying, you know, it was on me. Um and then obviously, I thought Jimmy was was great again. Um, again, Jimmy impacts the game in so many ways that just don't show up on the on the box uh, score. Um, and he had twenty two and eight, which is solid, um, but it's not. You know, you look at Tatum's numbers; his his numbers were better. Um, Jalen Brown, like all, there's all these players who numbers wise were better, but at the end of the day, the the Heat won. And and you can just see after the game with the celebrations and that, just how much 
uh, Jimmy Means to that team and to Spo and 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 um, you know we talk about heat culture, but it's like it's real. You can see it. Like it's not just talk. It's it, it's actually ingrained in these guys. Um, but yeah, Bam for me stand out for sure, and I'm really really excited to to see um, him versus um, AD in, in the finals. Yeah, it, it really speaks volumes for Jimmy, doesn't it? Like, you know, we've been, you know, really praising him throughout the last um, couple of weeks and pretty much throughout this entire playoff run, uh, just about his leadership and the teammate he is and the winner that he is. You know, there's been knocks on him as a player, but you're right, you can see that there's a genuine care factor for his teammates and he's he's self-aware enough to know that for them to be the best team, he doesn't need to be out there trying to score 40 points and being the star night in, night out. Like he can see that a guy like Bam, probably in terms of athleticism and talent-wise, probably could be a better player than Jimmy. So whereas most guys, their ego will get in the way and think, well, I'm the max player. I need to be the star. I need to be getting all the shots. I need the players run for, for me. He is so happy to always be pushing for these other guys to be the stars of the team. You see in his press conferences, he's always saying, Bam's the heart and soul. You know, he's saying, you know, when they talk about Jimmy having a good scoring night, he says, well, I hope next game it's Dunk. Hope next game it's Tyler or, or Goran. Like, he's so... It, it, it just comes so easy for him to push the spotlight around to others because he knows that's what what's going to make this team the best. Like you've seen, after Tyler had his 37, he turns up the next day to training in a Tyler Hero jersey. You know, he's, he's making fun of things like that. Then when they win the championship, he turned up in an Eric Spolster College of Portland, I think, was the jersey <laughs> yeah, that, that. that he found. Like you can just see he, he, has, he actually cares about his teammates. Like he... He genuinely like, and you know, he talks about like their their families. Like he talks about Tyler's. He, he prefers Tyler's brothers over him. He prefers Goran's brothers. Like he, you can tell that it's more than just being teammates for them. There actually are like he talks about. I'm home now. Like it, it really feels like there is a family environment there, and they they actually are in each other's corners, not just you know people on a basketball team that are making a lot of money together. Yeah, you're spot on. And the way he, he spoke um, uh, when, uh, I think it was with Rachel Nichols, when they were, um, you know, she was interviewing a few of them when they gave them the um, the trophy. And he spoke about, you know, in life everyone just wants to be wanted and, and the Miami Heat wanted him. Um, and he's like, that's that's all I could ever ask for. And I also like the way, and I thought he put it really well, how he said, um, you know, my leadership is not for everyone, but that for these guys it fits and it works. And that's why... You know, because we're a bunch of guys who just care about winning. The, the stats and everything else are neither here nor there. The fame's neither here nor there. It's about winning at the end of the day. And I think that's where his, his confidence um, comes from. Because I, I must admit, Jimmy's always been a confident fellow, but I think his confidence is at another level now. Um, and and it's it always comes f- um, for him from the work that he puts in. And I think for the first time in his career, he's actually seen all the guys around him putting in the work as well. So it's not just a I'm confident; it's a it's a we're confident, you know, as a, as a team and as a unit. Um, and when he talks, I just love the way he talks because he's just he's so um, uh, honest. It's it's none of this jargon for for likes or you know whatever. It's 
it's just he tells it as it is. Um, and you can see when Spokes spoke about, um, you know, um, the the front office and that who were up in behind the glass watching, watching during the presentation and and just how much when Spo talks, like all the players love him as well. Like it's not, he's like one of the guys, even though he's the coach. You know, it's such a, it's such a weird sort of. Um, um, dynamic because you know you said sort of coaches being the the authoritative kind of ones who are demanding and blah blah but these guys seem to get it so much that like Spo is just one of them um, and I loved absolutely loved the video of Jimmy in the Spo in the Spo jersey I thought that was hilarious <laughs> taking Spo back to, to his playing playing days um, that's it. he must have, yeah. must have done some digging to find that Oh yeah, so I, I can't wait to see which which jersey he comes out in next. Like, who, who's next on the list? Is he going to find a <laughs> is he going to find a Pat Riley one from back in his day when he was playing? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, a Godfather one. That's it. Yeah. But it is, uh, but it's yeah, it's but, a refreshing it's a refreshing change um, in in the sports world because we understand that it is a business and it's a huge business now and that. Players are dispendable, like organisations will always do what's in, in the best interest of them and say, you know, um, they'll get rid of players and delist them and trade them. So we understand that. So so I, I, I don't begrudge players that do use the NBA to their advantage and try to maximise their earning power and um, understand that, you know, I guess they're not going to go all in on an organisation knowing that, on the back end of that, if the organisation doesn't think you fit anymore or you're not of value to them, they'll just get rid of you, no questions asked. So, um, But it is refreshing to see that they're almost back to that that old school where they really would do whatever it takes for that organisation. And that I think that a lot is built from Pat Riley, from Mickey Harrison, Spo, all the way down the line that, and, and you can see the way they do look after their players. Like we can see, you know, with Dwayne Wade and players like that, they, they do try to look after their players post-playing career. You know, they've kept UD there in a mentor role. Like they know in terms of a player, he's not going to be seeing any minutes, but you know, they know what he means to that organisation, what he's given them in service. So they've kept him on the roster um, for, you know, two or three years where other teams would have got rid of them and opened up that roster spot. So it is, you know, refreshing to see that in pro sports these days when it is so much about money and brand and looking out for yourself and your family and your own happiness, which, as I said, don't begrudge them for doing it, but it is nice to see this old school for a little bit during this playoff run. Yeah, definitely. I think you, I think you make a good point about when, when they even retire. Like, UD will have some some role with Miami as long as he wants it. Yes. <laughs> Whether that's, you know, on the actual roster or assistant coach or somewhere in the front, like they, they really look after their own. Like you're, you're a part of this for life. You know, it's not just a, a short term thing. Um, and it's amazing because normally an organization that has had the success they have had um, usually is very up and down because they're, they're always going for win now. So they're always trying to make the big moves and sometimes they don't pay off and, you know, you bottom out and, um, and things like that, um, that it's, it's, it is so, you're right. It's refreshing. It's 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 something that we don't see all the time. Um, and I think um, I, I agree with you that it's it, some people need to sort of use that platform in order to be able to build themselves up and you know for future contracts and things like that. I think with Miami, what I like about the most is that they're not. I feel like they've got a group of guys who are just them. They're not trying to be somebody they're not. 
and they're so comfortable in their own skin. You know, Jimmy being the, the biggest example of that, that everything else sort of doesn't matter. Like, Jimmy's more than happy for every anybody to have a view on him, you know, no matter what it is. And it doesn't, he doesn't care one way or the other because he's like, I know who I am, I know what I do, and that's that's fine with me. I don't need anybody else's praise or anybody else's love. Um, and it seems like he's not the only guy like that. And I think that's that, it's not just the culture, it's not just the coaching, it's not just that organisation, it's... Also, that the guys who are currently on the roster are all so like-minded um, and genuinely enjoy playing with each other. And and how much better do you play when you're having fun whilst playing? Like, as opposed to it just being a stressful thing that you've just got to get through. Um, and it, it goes back to, um, I always think of at the end of the um, the previous Miami run, when um, when it got to the point where they just weren't having fun anymore. Yeah, there was, the expectations were so high. They'd been to the finals four years in a row, and it was like, it's just, it's not the same anymore. And that's when, you know, guys decided to move on. And, and so you can see, you know, that's, that's, it, it's amazing that, that, that Miami has been this sort of team that's been around the mark, I guess, for so long. Um, um, and I think it all, it all, all of those elements come together to make that happen. Uh, because you see teams that can go from the top to the bottom in one year. Because, of the, as you mentioned, the way that they turn players over, um, the way that free agency every year is the biggest deal in the NBA because <laughs> a, te- a team can go from top to bottom and a team can go from bottom to, from bottom to top. Like, if Giannis leaves Milwaukee, they change significantly instantly. Like, it's, yes. yeah, it's just the way that, that it works. So, yeah, it's, it is refreshing. Um, oh, what did you think of Boston in the game? Yeah, so Boston for me, I was very surprised at how they ended the game. Um, They were up six points with six minutes to go and I was watching the game and thought, okay, this one's coming right down to the wire. And Miami coming out of that timeout and Tyler has his little run where he scores, I think, five or seven straight points and then we know what Bam does from that point on just takes over the game um, and, and basically rips their heart out down the stretch. But Boston just, it almost like as soon as that six-point lead was evaporated, they panicked and they thought, we need to shoot threes to get back in this game. Like they went from being up six to down 10 in almost a four-minute stretch. And as soon as they lost that lead, it was just like one past three every single time down the floor. Like they stopped like a, a team that's so well coached by Brad Stevens and has so many weapons to go from that to just one pass, shoot three, you know, to try to get back in the game. It just showed a lot of immaturity and a lot of panic, you know, whereas on the flip side of that, you know, Miami, you would think if you're down six points with six minutes to go in the fourth quarter, That'd be the team that would, you know, try to, you know, speed the game up and rush and panic and and try to get back in it. But they were so poised down the stretch. It was just such a contrast from the two teams that we hadn't really seen in this series. Like, Boston had been um, pretty good. Like, you know, obviously um, all the games were fairly close down the stretch. So, yeah, I, I was very surprised that a Brad Stevens coach team did that in the last three to four minutes of that last quarter. So... But you've got to give credit to Miami, you know, to, to the way they, you know, body language is a huge thing in sports. Like, if you watch that game, like I was watching it on League Pass, 
and they, they show the timeouts because they don't have ads and things like that. You yep. see the way that Tyler and Jimmy Butler come out of that timeout with six minutes to go and you just knew they weren't scared. So that's not always going to result in you winning the game. But you can tell a lot by players if you're in a position late in the fourth quarter and you're down and the body language is panic, like what Boston did, or the body language is like, okay, we're down six. We know what we need to do to get back in this game. Let's just go out and try to execute. And Miami were able to do that. And that confidence comes from knowing you've done the work. That confidence doesn't come from just thinking you're a stud and you've got a lot of talent and all this sort of stuff. That's just inner belief knowing, okay, we've done the work. We know the sets we're going to run. We know what what we need to do to, to get this lead back both on the offensive end and the defensive end. Now let's just go out, try to execute, and we'll live with the results. You know, and that to me was the biggest difference in that game that changed it from Miami to Boston. You know, so I'll be very, yeah, as I said, I was so surprised that a Brad Stevens coach team just collapsed the way they did once Miami went on that run. Yeah, I completely echo everything you just said. I I thought their youth um, really showed. Like they started to look like, okay, this is a young team that just doesn't doesn't get it yet. Um, Mm. And they didn't have. uh, they need a, like a um, in those sort of moments. Um, whilst your coach is so important, you need like a settler on the team, a guy who can be like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Let's just let's calm it down. Let's get through our sets." Because you're right, it was one pass three, one pass three, one pass three, and they all said after the game in the presses, you know, their shots that we feel comfortable taking and blah blah. But I think they just played right into Miami's hands because then Miami were back in transition the other way, and just that lead was just growing so quickly. Rather than them trying to chip away at it, you know, and get themselves back into a winning position down the end um, where, you know, there's a few points in it, they tried to sort of go for the kill straight off the bat. And when you're down in a series where you have to win this game, you can't really be taking those risks as much. You've got to sort of play a bit smarter. Um, and I agree. I was, it, it was just, it went from, um, you know, th- them being up to them being well down so quickly that it was just like, wow, that's. And it was obvious. I think when it got to about 10, it was obvious. That's game. They're not going to come back now. They're, they're way out of sorts. Um, they're throwing up rubbish. And it, it just, there was no settler. There was no, you know, there was no like Tatum, like, give me the ball. Let's, let's get through our sets. You know, come on, guys. Like, pull everyone with you. Um, like, in reverse, you'd have, say, Jimmy or someone like that do that if Tyler started going out of control or, or Duncan or someone like that. Um, so I think they missed that, that sort of, on the court presence, um, whilst your coaches is super important, and I agree with you, it was very surprising that a Brad Stevens coach team would would sort of fall like that. Um, I think they just need someone on the court who's you know that extension of the coach um, who can really settle the guys and, and keep them focused um, because it was just a terrible last few minutes from them. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think their youth showed big time for me. It was like yeah, they they'll get a lot out of this, a lot out of this year. Um, and I think next year they'll be really, really dangerous um, in the East again. But I think it's a bit like Denver last year got their experience, and then this year they were a completely different team. I, I can see that being Boston um, next year. Well, I'm just staying on the Boston side of things, for them to take the next step, they've obviously made um, the Eastern Conference Finals a couple of times now. Do you think that Kemba Walker can still be, I guess at the moment, he'd be quote-unquote the best player on that team. Do you think for them to take the next step, 
that needs to continue, or do you think either a Jason, um, a Jason Tatum or a Jalen Brown needs to become your number one option, given the limitations that Kemba has based on size? Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I was thinking about that um, earlier when I was um, writing down my notes um, for the pod, and I thought we spoke about it on a, on a previous episode about Kemba being uh, a smaller guy, and we also spoke about that sometimes Boston don't seem to have a pecking order, and that sometimes works against them because they don't have sort of a guy down the stretch. Um, and it, it can work in your favour, don't get me wrong, when you've got several guys who can create. But I think he needs to hand the reins over. Um, and I think it has to be Tatum or Brown. And I think next year that the role definition for that team has to be something that Brad focuses on a little bit more. Um, and Kemba's just got a slot in line. You know, he was he was a great player on a bad team. Um, you know, an all-star type player on a bad team. Um, and he's not he's not bad on a good team, but he, I, he's not the kind of guy who you, I, I don't think you can you can um, you can have as your number one on a championship team. Um, I think. Uh, Tatum has that ability, if not now, definitely in the future. Um, and I think Brown's not far behind. Like, I think they really are lucky with those two. Um, but they've got to make those two the focus more. They've got to say, this is your number one, your number two, or your 1A, 1B, whatever it might be. Um, because I just feel like sometimes they get lost in this your turn, my turn. And that's hard when you've got four guys um, with, with Hayward, throw that him into the mix as well. It's a bit easy when you've got two going your turn, my turn. But when you've got four... It's a little bit, uh, a little bit tricky, and sometimes I feel like they do play a little bit selfish um, in trying to get their own and trying to all average, you know, twenty points across the board or something like that, as opposed to, you know, you have a big game one game and I'll have it go on another game. Yes, I guess more the Miami approach where they don't worry about that. It's it's about the end result, and and nine times out of ten, the end result will will um, over the course of a season you'll get your numbers, you know, because you'll have enough games to, to get them up and, and things like that. So I think the role definition is a big part, um, and I don't see Kemba as, as number one or number two on that team. Um, what about you? Yeah, so I think, unfortunately, basketball is dominated by guys 6'6 six, six and above. So, you know, it's, it's going to be very difficult for you to be able to compete for championships if your best player and the main focal point of your offense is a, a smaller guy, um, the only one that's really been able to change that is Steph Curry, which we know there's only one Steph Curry in the league, and it still took him to get Kevin Durant um, to win championships. You know, an argument can be made that they don't win 2015 unless Kyrie and Kevin Love get hurt, and then obviously we know what happened in 2016. And then Kevin Durant arrives, um, and we know the struggles he's had as the playoffs have gone on. Um, so Kemba's obviously not in Steph Curry's um, league. So I think if they do want to be a team that is competing for championships, they do need to um, get a better... You don't want to say you're always going to go through one guy, but I think... When you get to those later rounds in playoffs, you need down the stretch to be clear on who the ball's going to. Um, this idea of let's have four guys averaging 18 to 20 points and all getting you know 15 to 16 shots each can be difficult because basketball is such a rhythm game. Like you would know as a shooter that you know if you hit two or three shots, you know you're in a good rhythm. Um, and you want to try to continue that on by getting some more sets run for you and get some more shots. 
So if you're trying to get four guys 15 shots a game instead of having one guy that's taking 22 shots and then another guy taking 16 and then another couple of guys taking 10, you're almost then trying to search out guys so everyone gets their 15 instead of being like, okay, we know you're our best player, so we're going to make sure that you get 20-plus shots a game So and hopefully he gets into a rhythm and, and can score you 25-plus points a game. The other guys know that they're only going to be getting 10 to 15 shots a game instead of this idea that, you know, because if we all think we're going to get 16 and, and two guys end up hitting a couple of shots in a row, then they think, well, I'm on a roll. I want to get some more touches. But then the other guys think, well, I still need to get my shots. And it sometimes you can, you can get in each other's way. And you can see that with Boston. You know, sometimes, you know, a guy might be on a roll, but then they don't, might not touch the ball for three or four possessions because they're searching out these other guys um, type of thing. So although it's great to share the love, I think you need to get a better balance so the guys have more defined roles instead of just having this almost blanket across, we've got four guys that are, you know, our stars instead of having your bona fide superstar. And we saw it in Miami when Dwayne Wade said, you have to be our best player, LeBron, if we're going to be successful. We can't have this, you know, we're 1A, 1B, because the dynamic of the team isn't working. It only can get us so far, but if you want to be the best team possible, you need to have that defined role to be like, you're our main dude. And you can see what the Lakers do. Anthony Davis is the main focus on offense. There's been a distinct change in the way LeBron plays to make sure that Anthony Davis knows that he is the main focus on offense and will get the most shots. And LeBron then just tries to fit fit in around that instead of this idea that, you know, some games LeBron is going to shoot 25. Like, you know, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think the um, the the point you make about when uh, D Wade said to LeBron, "This is your team now. You got to be the you got to be the guy." That's that's the perfect example of I think what what this team lacks. Um, there there is too there can be too much sharing. There definitely can be too much sharing in a game that is so driven by stars. Uh, there, there there can definitely be too much sharing, and when you've got four guys who can not only create for themselves but create for others. But they've all, as you said, got to get their 15 or so shots. That's when it gets really, really tricky. And I think um, from Kemba's point of view, he's a guy who's used to averaging you know, a certain amount of shots and a certain amount of points because he did in Charlotte. He needs to do a little bit of like what we spoke on the last pod in relation to Dwight Howard in that he needs to accept a role which is going to mean he's going to average less points. He's going to average less shots. But it's going to lead to winning. And that's more, in, you know, is that more important to him? He's got to make that call, you know, or is it more important to, to get your numbers? Uh, because not uh, whilst everyone will say it's more important to win, that doesn't always show in the way that they, you know, the way that they play. So I think you're spot on. I think that that needs to occur for sure. Um, and if it's me, um, I'm, I'm giving Tatum that, that number one um, responsibility. Not that I'd, I'd take anything away from Jay. I think he's a fantastic player. And I think he would be a great second guy. Um, but I think the ball needs to be in Jason Tatum's hands, um, you know, as the number one sort of guy. And everyone else, as you say, fits in sort of down the line from there. Um, on Miami, you spoke a little bit there about Andre Iguodala. What did um, what did you make of his leadership and, and the way he was able to perform in a closeout game? 
Yeah, I think I always thought Andre Iguodala was a little bit overrated. <laughs> um, I mean, he won that finals MVP, but yeah, and everyone's saying he le- defended, defended LeBron very well. LeBron's numbers were ridiculous. So, <laughs> um, you know, I always thought he was just on a good team and things like that. Uh, but I think he, I think he does. I think he, he's another guy who can do a lot without doing much on the, on the stat sheet. Um, I mean, he had 15 points and, as I said, didn't miss a shot from the field, and that was great. But I think he's the kind of guy who, particularly at this stage of his career, can play sort of spot minutes here and there and have a big impact without it actually showing much uh, on the scoreboard. And, I mean, you can't argue the guy's been to the finals an awful lot, um, you know, and he's it, pretty much everywhere he's gone, he's helped teams sort of get to that next level. Um, I, I still think Miami... Um, the way they're playing um, could be in this position without him. It's not like he was the missing piece or anything, but he's another piece. And that's what I think makes them so dangerous is, and I'd sort of put him in the, in a similar category to, um, to Jay Crowder when he came across um, what isn't, wasn't the, um, the, the be all and end all, but just another piece that fits right into that culture. Um, I think Iguodala would have just walked in day one and been like, yep, this is, this is where I belong. You know, this is where I wanted to be. Um, which um, we'll talk about a little bit when we do a, a, an NBA Finals preview pod. But obviously, there's a lot of talk about um, you know his importance on the defensive end um, and how that'll help them um, in the next series. But I think I think he's just another voice, another guy on that team, um, another veteran, um, along with um, you know your UD and your Jimmy, who the young guys can can pick their brains, um, you know, uh, get more information out of them. Um, and he seems to be the kind of guy who is happy to to give back like that. Um, he's not his ego's not too big that he has to be doing playing all the minutes and getting all the shots. And um, in fact, sometimes I think he, he doesn't shoot enough when he gets some good looks and decides to you know dribble in and, and try and make a play or something. Um, so yeah, I think he's just another another piece, and that's what I love about this team. They've just got so many pieces <laughs> that that just fit that culture, fit that game plan. Um, you know, are hard on each other, but bring out the best in each other by by being that way because they know that it's not personal, that it's all about helping each other get better in order to win. So, um, yeah, I, I think he's been a good fit there. What, did, um, what do you reckon? Yeah, it's just another savvy move by that organisation, by Pat Riley, to pick them up at the trade deadline. Um, we spoke on the last pod that, you know, a lot of these guys haven't been in this position before. You know, and the only guys that they had going into this game six were obviously Spo, um, Iguodala and Jay Crowder had been to the conference finals with Boston. And they were really going to need to lean. You know, I said they really were going to have to lean on Spo and his experience um, and then those guys. So, you know, to pick up a guy like um, Andre at the trade deadline, you know, and then for him to have that performance, it, it just justifies why you do things like that. And, why it's so hard to replace that kind of experience. You know, um, we know he's not a great three-point shooter, um, but he makes timely buckets. And you've seen that, you know, it's, it's given me the ear it's so many times in, in Golden <laughs> State because he's not a great shooter, but he will make timely buckets. He will make timely defensive plays. You know, I've seen it so many times where he knocks the ball out of LeBron's hand when you think he's got a clear lane to the, to the goal. So he's just that guy that makes timely plays in big moments, you know, and for him to do that in the first half, that's why you get a guy like that, you know, because they're able to, in big games, just give you an extra 5 or 10% that you wouldn't normally get um, that just makes it, 
you know, easier to close those games out. So to make four from four in the first half from three, it just gives you that cushion and that extra kick that you need to close out series. So great move by Miami to, to pick him up. You know, he's not going to, you know, he's definitely not the finals MVP 2015, but he does have that ability to come in and just give you timely plays um, that could help you win a game, which then in turn helps you win the series. So um, I have to talk about Tyler, though, um, before before we finish finish um, <laughs> talking about this game. Like, you know, I said we, we know what happened in, in game, um, game four with the 37 points. And then we spoke last time about how, you know, he, he got he got exactly what it's like being a rookie in the NBA. You know, he has a huge game and then they they make his life hell the next game. You know, they were they were just closing him out, running him off the three-point line, closing down the lane. So basically all he could get was mid-range jump shots, making his life so hard. And it, it takes, you know, going through those experiences to learn and become better. But to have the confidence to go through, obviously having the 37 points and then not having a great game the next time and the defense really making his life hard, but then come back in game six and do what he did in that last quarter just shows the confidence this kid has. And I was saying before about that confidence, that doesn't come from just being cocky or just thinking you're talented or telling people that you're good. That confidence comes from knowing that you've done the work that you've been in the gym every day at 4.30, getting your reps in, so that if you have a good game or you have a bad game, mentally it doesn't change because all you know is I'm going to do the work, I'm going to go out and I'm going to try to execute and then I'll live with the results. So you don't get too high, you don't get too low. So for a 20-year-old kid to be down six in the fourth quarter of a game six in the Eastern Conference Finals and come out and do what he did you just you can tell when he shoots the ball, he's not shooting hoping it's going in. He's shooting knowing, okay, I'm I I expect to make this shot. I'm not just shooting this because that's what the play calls and I'm open. Like he he's in that last quarter shooting that ball, expecting I'm gonna make this shot and I'm gonna bring us back and we're gonna win this game because of me. So for a twenty year old to be doing that, you know, you just uh, he, I think he's going to be someone like I, I love Zion coming into the league, but I feel like there's almost a neck and neck race on who's going to be the player that I'm going to watch for the next 10, 15 years with the way this kid goes about it. Yeah, echo echo everything you said, and I think um, I think uh, Jimmy mentioned uh, in the, in the post game about um, about Bam how he wants that pressure, he wants that moment. You can put Tyler in that exact same exact same boat. Um, he he he's not he has no fear, um, and it's interesting that it, that I use the words no fear because he got that tattooed across his chest during the uh, the lockdown period. So <laughs> it's obviously a, <laughs> did a he really? Flag- yeah, yeah, right across here, no fear. I think like nose on one, like peck and fears on the other, <laughs> um, which is pretty funny. Um, so, but it's it, it's it's so true. He doesn't have any fear. He's, he's happy to be in that moment and take that shot. Um, and again, um, you know, the, Jimmy and those guys are happy for him to be in those moments and take those shots. Um, so I'm with you. I, I can't wait to see him. You know, we, we, we sort of spoke about what can he, what's it going to be like in sort of the conference finals, and now we go that next step, and it's like I can't wait to see him, you know, on the biggest stage in basketball to see 
see what he can do there. Um, and I also noticed after the game that Jimmy was wearing his Miami jersey in a lot of their photos. <laughs> he was <laughs> too. Had it, had it back to front. Yeah, yeah. So he had the, he had the Black Lives Matter and the, the 14 and the hero on the bottom. So it's, uh, yeah, it's awesome. All, all I know is I'm going to start buying jerseys of all my mates and just wear them around. That, that's the, apparently what you do these days. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> oh, so, yes. You got anything else on game five, uh, game six, sorry? No, nothing else for me. I'm just uh, really, very excited and, and uh, happy for my boy Jimmy, um, which we'll, we'll, uh, we'll touch on in our NBA preview episode. Sounds good to me. Miami versus right. Lakers. It's all set. Miami versus Lakers. Um, yes, look forward to it. Uh, 36. Just under 37 minutes, so we've done pretty well. So uh, thanks for everyone who's listened again, and uh, we'll be back with a uh, an NBA preview pod uh, soon. So uh, buckets, I'll talk to you then. Sounds good, mate.